Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the eerily deserted media cafe here at Melbourne Park around about an hour after the two women's singles semi-finals have been completed. Two straight sets but competitive matches won by the defending champion Arena Sabalenka over Coco Goff and the first time Grand Slam finalist Zhang Jinwen over the qualifier Diana Yastremska. Lots to talk about. Lots to look ahead to. Matt's here. Hello, Matt. Hello. Feeling better than when I was on the podcast last night, knowing that I had about two hours to sleep before Fulham, although the football was a disaster. (laughs) Matt's in a, the worst has happened, it can only get better from here situation. Exactly. David's here. Hello, David. Hello. Yes, I joined Matt for the last 10 minutes of the Fulham debacle, and there was one fleeting moment when it looked (laughs) on... And the ball didn't quite squeeze under the goalkeeper's body and uh, Matt just sunk back into the chair and then said, I'm going back to bed. Why do we follow sports? Why do we do it to ourselves? so damn cruel. And I am thrilled to say that joining us, as is now tradition from any Grand Slam, I think, your friend of mine, three-time single semi-finalist here at the Australian Open and seven-time doubles champion, Pamela Howard-Shriver. Thank you, Pamela Howard. We went with a formal introduction. First off, I just hope the Ravens don't join Fulham on the sidelines after their go at this making the Super Bowl this Sunday. Who have you got? We're playing against Kansas City. Mm. It's fortunate. Otherwise, well, no, it's not fortunate that the Bills lost because we wanted the Bills to win, but it would have been a... It would have been an uncomfortable podcast. It would have been an uncomfortable podcast. Pagula against Shriver didn't happen. (laughs) Roberts against Shriver didn't happen. Uh, Pam, can, it's very, I can root for the Ravens. It's very difficult to uh, to prepare your very important intros. It's, it's quite difficult to count up the number of, on your Wikipedia page <laughs> the number of times you've you've won these things. You know, well, but, uh, seven is right. right? Yeah, and, and we went on seven on the trot. Isn't that isn't that how you say it? If, yeah, we lost our first one, and then Martina carried me to seven in a row, and our last one we ever uh, were able to win was here in 89. Pam, it's a great night to have you on because there is there is a lot to talk about. I think we should should work chronologically here and start with the first semifinal of the night. 
uh, Coco Goff against Arena Sabalenka, a match that s- certainly for the first for the first set, and I think actually by and large throughout the match felt remarkably to me similar to their U.S. Open final match, just in terms of the match-up, the way they're kind of two two jigsaw puzzles pieces that just fit together, and yet it was an entirely different outcome to their U.S. Open final match. How did we find the match? What did we make of the result? I, I loved it. I loved the match pretty much from start to finish. I mean, obviously, I would have preferred a third set just because you'd get more of it, um, and then you'd get the jeopardy of, of wondering whether... Sabalenka can hold a lead, whether Coco Goff can overturn it. And because there's so much at play between these two, I absolutely love the rivalry. I think it's one of the best combinations of a match in the sport at the moment because of the style differences between the two and because of what Coco Goff does in terms of asking questions of Sabalenka, who was playing at a level, I think, head and shoulders above what she was producing at the US Open. I don't think that golf was that different to the US Open level tonight. What do you think, Pam? I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed her fighting spirit, the way she used her, her legs to kind of absorb and, and just keep getting more balls back. Yeah, I, I thought Coco's second serve was really off tonight, especially in the first set. Um, this, at the US Open, I felt like her second serve held up a little bit better. But you're right, when there's some of those points where Coco Goff's legs got her out of trouble and then Sabalenka made the error on maybe the 7th or 8th hit for Sabalenka, it was so reminiscent of the Open. Um, but Sabalenka elevated particularly midway through the second set. I was really impressed with the way Sabalenka finished. It was quite interesting. Goff, in her press conference, said she felt like she played better tonight than in the U.S. Open final, even though she obviously won the U.S. Open final. She said that that just wasn't a good sort of high-quality match. I think she was frustrated by her level in that, even though she managed to to win it. She said she actually felt like she played better tonight. I, I, I completely agree with Pam. Like her her serve was a bit of a liability the whole match. I think she'd hit five double faults in the first three service games and been broken twice and. I felt like that was undoing a lot of the good work that she was doing elsewhere in the matchup by using her legs, by extending the rallies. And it is just so fascinating, the effect that that has on Arena Sabalenka. Like, you, you can feel the tightness and the pressure that Sabalenka's feeling because Coco Goff is down the other end of the court. And, it, and you almost want to tell her, chill out, Arena. Like, you're, you, you're better than you think you are. Yeah, like, you're a great athlete yourself. Like, you can extend some of these rallies. You don't necessarily have to hit out all the time. And you've got this. Like, okay, Coco Goff's going to get some balls back. But, like, you're an incredible ball striker. And she was timing that thing, like, incredibly well, as she has been all tournament. And I was just impressed that she kept her lid on it, Sabalenka, because it started to run away from her in that second set, when she, in that first set, sorry, when she didn't take her set point. She then got broken and Goff was serving for the first set. Goff's forehand let her down badly in that game. But then Sabalenka played an awesome tie break, like unbelievably good. And then, as Pam said, like the acceleration from Sabalenka right at the end of that second set, she just stepped up in, in big moments in a way that We've seen her capitulate in Grand Slam semifinals and we've seen her not be able to keep it together against Coco Goff in that US Open final. And th- for that reason, I think this is one of Sabalenka's most impressive 
Grand Slam wins, I would say, because there was there was a lot of opportunity there for her to let it go, and she didn't. She stepped up. I was I was so impressed. Mm. Likewise, Coco Goff puts the difference in outcome down to how they respectively served today compared to in New York a few months ago. And certainly I went back and looked at the stats from, from the US Open compared to the stats today, and they, they absolutely do back it up. Eight double faults today from Goff. She hit five for the, for the whole three sets um, in the US Open final. She had 57% first serves in today. She was 66% um, back in New York, and Sabalenka served at 76% in today and she was at 52% mm. in the US Open final and, and you know all the other percentages winning percentages on first and second serve they all they all serve that serve that narrative as well so I don't want to go too hard on the whole change technical change to the serve because quite honestly I haven't it's too imperceptible for for my untrained eyes but it just goes to show how goddamn hard it is to make technical changes in the sport and how little time there is to bed that in and get it into the muscle memory such that it can stand up to scrutiny on the biggest and intensest of stages what did you think Pam when when Coco came out with a with a slightly revised Andy Roddick influenced service motion at the start of this year well, certainly the power was there. There was a 125 mile an hour in, in my language. I think it was like 201. Oh, is that, that's right. Yours too, <laughs> not in Australia. No. It is crazy how much tennis I've watched, and I cannot convert between kilometers per hour and miles per hour. Like, it will flash up a kilometers per hour, and I, I have to Google the conversion because I'm like, is that fast? I, I don't know. <laughs> so the, the power is still there, but I, I think it does, you're right. It does take time, even a little change. And so I think we'll know a lot more by the Indian Wells Miami swing about the serve. Um, I was I was shocked really that she couldn't do a correction with the second serve, um, and that's a worry. You got to have some things you fall back on, especially with your second serve, that helps you get your rhythm back. I mean, for a while there, in the middle of the first set, she still hadn't gotten a second serve in yet. Mm. Is the technical change bigger on the second serve than on the first? I don't I don't think so. But I think the sort of well my understanding of of the change that she's made is that as Pam said she's really getting a lot of pace and it almost feels like she's really committing to that first serve like she's she's trying to be aggressive with it as she spoke about in the press conference trying to dominate with it. And the second serve seems a little bit more tentative like she's not fully in on it perhaps. I don't know that's that's just that's just a theory. And maybe going on another theory is that if you do have a little change in the technique, maybe the second serve is actually more difficult because if you don't make it, you know, you lose mm. a point. So there's actually maybe more pressure at the beginning of a change. So, again, let's sort of see how she settles in because it's brand new. And, and she did kind of hint at exactly that in her press conference as well. She was feeling, she was feeling stressed on the second serve today. And it would be, right, with Sabalenka's return. Yeah. And, and that's when the technical side of any stroke is at its most important, isn't it? When you're stressed, you need to be able to rely on whatever it is. I, th I think maybe me as a, a non-tennis player and coach, just watching from the outside, the serve is the part of the game I underestimate the importance of the most. 
David calling himself a non-tennis player there. You, you do yourself a disservice, David. Yeah, yeah. she's seen my serve. <laughs> she's seen it hit the back fence a million miles an hour. Pam, is it... Well, maybe this depends on the, on the player, but is it, is it easier to make technical changes in this sport? Because that's probably what we're focusing on with Coco Goff. Like, you know, we talk about her forehand, her serve. Or is it easier to make sort of mindset changes and adapt to big matches because I feel like Goff has has really sort of nailed that part of the game already at, at, as a teenager still and I feel like Sabalenka's you know we saw it tonight she was she was much better tonight but she's had to really learn that and Igor Sviontek that's sort of what we talk about with her as well is it like has Goff actually got a bit of an, an advantage in that she's mentally so strong already and she can make the technical changes or is it actually worse that she's still got more technical changes to make than sort of some of her rivals do you think well i feel that coco goff's mental strengths um is becoming one of the most talked about things in the locker room actually there's a ton of respect what they've seen you know since she burst on the scenes but especially since wimbledon Mm -hmm. and and i know she's had changes in her team and and that's been a big help but something's clicked and let's face it, she seems to have that champion mentality that I observed with, say, Martina and with Chrissy, and then we saw in more recent times with Roger and Rafa, like, even the greatest are always willing to try and add some new things, tinker with things. I remember Martina was always like, and I was like, my God, you've lost two matches all year. What are you <laughs> messing with anything? Or, like, halfway through our win streak of 109 matches, she, like, comes up with the idea we should change sides and I should <laughs> go from the do side to the ad side and I'm like wait a second we haven't lost in 18 months but anyway but she's always thinking like what could make her better and I think I see a little bit of that with Coco as well and and, and when a player does that do they have to be prepared to take one step back in order to take two or three or or more forwards is that part of it I think so I think you have to be have patience with any change. It's kind of interesting when talking about Coco now with a serve, that they haven't been willing to tinker that much with a forehand side, but they are with the serve. And that's kind of an interesting point. Like, if they're going to be tinkering with a shot during the offseason, I would have thought, and maybe they did do some tinkering, but nothing that they talked about. I feel like kind of with a forehand, that the less the camp talks about it, it used to be this way with, like, Sharapova's serve – when she was having all the trouble with double faults, her camp didn't want anybody mm. talking about all the double faults because it would bring pressure onto the serve. <laughs> but, you know, here we are. we got to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, she was very... There was a period particularly over the summer last year prior to the US Open where Coco Goff, in her very genial Coco Goff-like way, bristled at questions about her forehand. I remember Mary Carrillo asked her about the forehand in the French Open pre-tournament press conference and... It's impossible to bristle at Mary Carrillo, but she definitely deflected that question. She didn't. She didn't want the the forehand issue to to be in her mind. Wait, did Coco show Mary her fangs at that question? <laughs> <laughs> Always, the fangs are unignorable, the, the, right? I mean, it was it was such a fangy tennis match, wasn't it? The it felt like a final in terms of atmosphere inside the stadium. The the pin drop silence between points right from the first moment. It was kind of, there was a reverence, wasn't there? And it was 
thick with intensity, which obviously is my very favourite thing. It yeah. it had that about it right the way through. Yeah, it, it was goosebump stuff really in in that first set because five two becoming five six and mm. then a tiebreak. I mean, you can't get better than that really in terms of ups and downs in a tennis match and both having their moments. Um, and I feel like they both brought what they've got and it really felt on a knife edge and that that is the ultimate really in tennis isn't it i mean that's that's where the frustrations for me of a of a final being best of 3 i'm i'm almost just relieved i'm spending most of the set thinking thank goodness this is they're both bringing it at the same time because you have so little time to get it together and feel settled and but for them you could feel their experience they've been there they know how to do it I was much more concerned for the second match in that way. They'd never done this before. Um, but, God, it's hard work, and they delivered. It was a brilliant a brilliant contest. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to hark on this too much because it was two straight sets, best of three matches tonight, and they were great. It was a great evening's entertainment, and that stands alone. However, I do increasingly at these Grand Slams, particularly in week two, acutely feel the injustice of women playing best of three while the men play best of five, just how much more men's tennis there is than women's tennis and all the inevitable consequences of that, let alone the the individual impact. Oh. The last media transport will be at 2 a.m. The last media transport will be at 2 a.m. Hmm. We'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> TBC or mother will be on that. Two, um, two straight sets matches, and here we are at 2 a.m. <laughs> um, let alone the individual impact on matches and the totally different complexion it puts on players going into fantastically weighty matches, the biggest moments of their lives in lots of cases, feeling like, oh my God, if I freeze, it could all be over so quickly. If I, you know, I can lose the first set and it could, you know, it's just. Bah. I just feel it more and more acutely as, as time goes on. Yeah, I, personally, I don't have a problem with the three-set format, even in, even in big matches. Like I, I, I think that's a great format of tennis, but I have a massive problem with the inequality, and it, it, it's, it's becoming such an issue. Like, you know, men's matches, delaying women's matches, all the problems we've talked about all week with the schedule, a lot of that is because it's really hard to fit this many five-set matches into this tight schedule that we have at the Slams. Um, and, and the fact that, as you said, in the second week where eyeballs are on this sport, the TV time is so heavily weighted to the men because the matches are longer. And, yeah, I, that's my biggest issue with it the inequality although I do, I do take the point that sometimes finals can be um you know nervy and it's difficult for a player to get started but i i tend to think that's just sport um mm. but um I, I do have a big problem with the inequality where are you on that now pam oh, i well i think back to the cincinnati final last year that was how long was that one four hours the the alcaraz djokovic two i mean to me a two out of three set that's unbelievably competitive that's like two and a half to three hours that's plenty of tennis mm. for me now i do think sabalenka and coco golf especially tonight played a very fast tempo now it was indoors it was cool they didn't have to worry about the heat the sun the crowd was quiet there wasn't as much uh like movement at the back um with the spectators coming in 
and there were many times where on ESPN we were hearing like, uh, <laughs> can, can somebody please hold them to their chairs like for 20 more seconds? Oh, wow. They were getting up a little bit early. So they were in fast mode. So it was only an hour and 40 minutes, but I felt like if that was a, a men's match played in the heat, seven six six four, that same match as competitive as it was would have been like two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, look, I, 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 sh- I share all of those views uh, ultimately i i do like best of five set format we've, we've made it very clear what our sort of preferences for how a grand slam should be structured but if if it takes getting rid of best of five altogether to to achieve equality of formats then i'll i'll sign up for that in a heartbeat the thing that you need most are the people who make the decisions to put matches on like especially free to air tv they have to assign more fairly what people can watch because mm. unfortunately what I've experienced in markets outside of the U.S. I, th- I feel like in the U.S. we're pretty far ahead on this game but they really err on the side of just default to a men's match even when there's a great women's match on you know like whether the, it was the Iga uh, Collins match mm-hmm. that was unbelievable even the f- f- uh, 42 point tie break that I think the host broadcaster here showed just a couple points of on the free to air that kind of thing is like, it's 2023. Let's, like, we can't have that. And then people wonder why, at the end of the tournament, the women have been so undermarketed and underexposed that, of course, there's not the same interest because they haven't been on TV. They haven't had the main advertisement. So it's a cycle. Anyway, all right. <sighs> Preach, Pam. <laughs> God, why can't we have Pam Go on? on? Pam. Pam on every day. Pam's, Pam's <laughs> sipping her drink now, as she should. Pam brought contraband to the party. Pam brought both herself and her expertise and contraband to the party today. We love Pam. Um, so that was the first uh, women's singles semi-final. Just wanted to touch upon uh, the post-match interview on court conducted by uh, Elena Dokic. There's been a whole. There's been a whole bit with towels and channel nine and and dockage uh, throughout this tournament uh, where where the the channel nine people ask for towels i don't i don't quite understand it it's been a whole thing on australian uh tv um and uh Dokic started asking uh sabalenka for one of her towels and i think everybody thought this is just going to be you know another another one of these moments um and then yelena Dokic said um what I actually want to do is for you to give me one of your towels. Uh, I'll get it signed by you and we'll auction it off with the proceeds going to uh, a charity supporting uh, women and children who are victims of domestic violence, which is obviously a cause very close to Yelena Dokic's heart, having been a victim of exactly that, something that she's spoken about at length. And um, my understanding is that this was... This was Yelena Dokic's initiative, not something kind of official by the tournament. I've, I have no idea whether it is in any way related to um, the outstanding allegations against uh, men's semi-finalist Alexander Zverev and the, the trial that he'll be facing in May. He denies those allegations, I should say. Um, but it would be tremendously coincidental, I think, if... Um, if it if it weren't related um, and related or not, good on you, Yelena Dokic. Um, that was it was quite a moment. It was it was received uproariously by the Rod Laver crowd, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a stunning ovation, and for for a prolonged period, um, she 
She really resonated there, and uh, and that was a moment that I won't forget. Mm. And just while we're on um, receptions by the Rod Laver Arena crowd today, Yvonne Goulagong was honoured before the women's singles semi-finals. This year is 50 years since she lifted the Australian Open title for the first time. Uh, she was honoured tonight for the incredible contribution that she's made for the sport uh, to the sport, to her nation and her heritage. And uh, they said uh, the uh, ceremony, during the ceremony, they announced that from next year, the Australian Open's annual celebration of First Nations culture during the first week of the tournament will be known as Yvonne Goulagong Corley Day. Um, and they will host uh, an event called Because of Yvonne, a breakfast followed by a ceremonial walk to Melbourne Park with all funds raised going towards Yvonne's life's work, improving the lives of Indigenous kids through education and sport. And um, to celebrate that, Tennis Australia has donated $100,000 uh, to that programme. And she really had, we, we did a, a Tennis Relived show on Yvonne. And I mean, this is this is not kind of box ticky show up in an event a couple of times a year and wave stuff that Yvonne Goulagong has has been doing for this cause. This to say her life's work, it, they it, they really mean it. Yeah, that, I think that edition of Tennis Relived is one of the ones that I'm happiest we we did because I got to learn about who she is and what she what she stands for and the the impact she had. And still continues to have, and I, I happened to, to be watching the, the coverage when she was told in this ceremony about this this uh, move by Tennis Australia to make this Yvonne Goulagong Day, and the look of shock on her face and surprise and happiness was, was really told you something. This is not somebody who takes for granted or is blasé or assumes that she's going to be honoured. She is she's wonderful. I, 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 do, do you know her, Pam? Yeah. Do you, <clears throat> I was really fortunate when I started to play in 1978 uh, as a 15- and 16-year-old that year, my rookie year. She was very much still on the tour. She hadn't yet won her second Wimbledon, which she would win in 1980 uh, as a mom. And there wouldn't be another mom to win a major until Kleisters won the U.S. Open in '09. And I was able to play against Yvonne in singles a couple of times um, share a lot of moments with her. Um, she was from. She lived a lot of those years when she was on the tour in the seventies and early eighties in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, which had one of the greatest stops. It's now the Charleston stop on the tour, but it's legendary going back to the early seventies, and that was her home. And I can just remember having some fun moments at her home tournament. And then I I got to Noosa one time when I was down here in Australia, which is where she's lived now for many many years with Roger and. You're right. It's like we have champions that give back, but then you have champions that give back, and <laughs> she gives back. Makes me very happy to think of Yvonne Gulligan Corley living in Noosa. That is one of my favorite places I've ever been. Oh, really? Learned to surf in Noosa. <laughs> Good work. Back in the day, uh, because I was told it's a shark-free zone, and that's really looking what I'm looking for at <laughs> Australian beaches. <laughs> um, and uh, it meant that obviously Yvonne Goulagong uh, Corley was um, honoured before the first semi-final, but then she she went and sat in the president's box to watch the semi-finals, and she was sat next to Billie Jean King, and I just. I was watching the tennis, but I was also watching them chit-chat through the match and thinking, what, what are they saying to one another? 
Why can't we hear this? Someone what should have mic'd them up. Um, on to the second semi-final. Zhang Chinwen, two sets against Diana Stramska, who received quite a worrying-looking injury timeout midway through the first set. And at that point, I was thinking, oh, my God, this is, this is going to be awkward. And actually, you know, as much as... As much as Zhun Shinwen was the better player, I was really impressed with how competitive a match this ended up being, given given how bad that injury timeout looked at the time. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting match because talking about players settling, I, I got to watch the match with Chanda Rubin, who made a semi final here in nineteen ninety six great run she had then she beat Gabriella Sabatini she she beat Arantxa Sanchez Vicario in the quarterfinals 16-14 in the third set and then faces her idol Monica Selish in in the semi-finals and, I, and I'm kind of saying how did you settle how did you and she she ended up losing that match 7-5 in the third so she settled and she was she was on the brink of victory at 5-2 at one point in the third set she was talking about you know you got two big hitters here in in Yastremska and Zhang she said they had to be able to really go after the shots. They've got to hit out and accelerate through the ball, but they've got to do it down the middle a bit, you know, and not just go for lines. And that that made sense a lot to me, and I felt like that's what the two players kind of did. You know, there were some errors sprayed, but this wasn't Noskova against Jastremska from, from yesterday. This was seemed like a pretty good quality match overall, Pam. I thought for their first major semifinal, I thought it was actually a really high quality as well. Uh, yes, Dremska tends to have a reputation of just going for it. And you know, the fact she was able to win three straight qualifying matches in three sets and then beat Vondrosova that sort of started to telecast that there was going to be a lot of upsets on the women's side again, carried all the way through to the semis. Obviously, Ukraine story comes into play and everything they've been through. I actually... Super impressed. So many of the Ukrainian players have a better ranking now than they did when the um, when the war broke out in two years ago. So it shows you a little bit about the mental strength, and and just they're, they're in full warrior mode here, literally on the tennis court. I thought it was a good performance. Um, I thought I think we all figured that Zhang would probably win the match, and she was a little too good. And I I liked the way she ended it with that with a big winning serve and. You know, she held her composure. It wasn't perfect. A lot of forehands still looked a little, uh, a little nerve. Shonky, <laughs> yes, that word of last night, <laughs> Simon's word. Yeah, and actually, to, to your point, Catherine, about the medical timeout. I mean, Yastremska's the one who broke first. She broke for two love, and she's hitting absolutely glorious backhands down the line. She also hits a, a lovely inside-out backhand from the center of the court, which was just stinging Zheng and getting her to hit long and late a lot of the time. And then we had the Zhang surge again, just like we had in the third set. Honestly, that, make, that, that gives me goosebumps. When she finds that, that m- moment where it all comes together, she's an awesome player. Um, and I th- look, Yastremska's had a lot of tennis, and she got stretched out to a right with a brilliant cross-court forehand by Zhang, and then just sort of started to clutch her side and it did go through my head she may be hurting but I think also she's hurting psychologically here because suddenly she can't live with this and I'm not saying she was cheating or or it was real uh, gamesmanship that she was intending but I think she, she thought 
I can't cope. I can't deal with this. This I am hurting a bit. And she had a medical timeout, or she went off to the course. It was, it was a seven-minute delay. They come back, and Zheng did lose her timing. She managed to just about hold it on. But, you know, these things, they are grey areas, aren't they? And, and, and Yastremska seemed fine after that physically in terms of being able to play the match. But Zheng was a worthy winner overall. Yeah, I, I was I was very impressed. I, I I felt like she absorbed a lot of Yastremska's pace pretty well tonight. There were a couple of nice slice forehands that Jung played actually, which was which was impressive. I think and that's new in her. Oh, Pam just I'm Pam sorry, just double fist pumped a slice I'm forehand. Just, <laughs> slice forehand still relevant. Do you know what Pam? I think that's been a bit of a feature of this tournament. It might look. This is a small sample size. It might just be an anomaly in the matches I've commentated. But I have remarked upon the prevalence of slice forehands quite a lot <laughs> over the last two weeks. I think they're making a comeback. Do you? Th- do, would you have a different one, Pam? If you if you could start again, would I have a different a different forehand? type of forehand, or would you just stick with the slice <laughs> that would, seems to work so well? I like the forehands that can both hit topspin and slice, right. like have a variety. Diana oh. on her way to the main interview room. <laughs> it's one a.m. and she's on her way to the interview room. What a stupid sport. Um, sorry, Matt, we derailed you. Sorry, no. With, I, with look, I David trolling Pam's I brought forehand. it up, and I actually forgot sorry, that we bro. that we had the the doyen of the slice forehand with us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then, as David said, those surges from Jung were impressive, first set and second set. She's done that all tournament. I just, I think it's fascinating that she hasn't faced a top 50 player to get to a slam final like the the highest ranked player she's faced is Katie Bolter now wow I I feel like the final might be a bit of um, you know Sabalenka doing a bit of a Taylor Fritz well she hasn't seen my pace (laughs) you know and like actually that being true (laughs) (laughs) and and the thing is like no one's got weight of shot and just the the intent on every shot that Arena Sabalenka has like sh- she is a one-off with that at the moment I think and, and she said didn't she in in her press conference Sabalenka how much she's worked on in the off-season hitting a big shot and following it in and, and she did that pretty well tonight you know sort of just closing the net you know not not always with amazing volleys but sometimes with decent drive volleys um, and I just look there's going to be the aspect of Ken Jeong a cope in her first Grand Slam final you know Sabalenka's played a few of them now but I I just am fascinated to actually see Jung's level against a player of Sabalenka's class because we haven't we literally haven't seen it all tournament like she's done exactly what she's needed to do but this is not only a step up it's it's a few steps up mm. in the biggest match of her life I I do believe in Jung's top level I really do think it is is able to compete with maybe not I'm not saying it can beat peak Sabalenka but I believe it's able it can compete with the best I do worry about her ability to produce her top level as consistently as she'll need to and in those circumstances Coco Goff was like it was actually the last it was kind of a bit of a throwaway moment at the end of Goff's press conference she was asked uh, at this point that there was no results Yastremska and um, Jung were just getting going with their match but she was asked what 
what are the secrets to beating Sabalenka? You know, what advice would you give to whoever it is that wins? And she was like, well, you just saw my attempt to be, <laughs> beat Sabalenka. Obviously, I don't know. But she did say uh, the most important thing will be, regardless of who it is, it'll be their first rodeo in a Grand Slam final. And she said, I remember my first Grand Slam final and mentally it was not pretty for me. So try and pretend that it's not your first Grand Slam final. Although Coco Goffs was against Iga Swiatek at Roland Garros, which is different than... Even though Sabalenka is the defending champ. So they played the quarterfinals, U.S. Open, mm. Zhang and Sabalenka. And I, I looked up the stats today. Just remind me about a couple things. Sabalenka only lost nine points on serve for the match. She, she won, like it was something like in the mid-80s first serve percentage and then won... A ridiculous amount on her second serve as well. So Zhang had no idea how to, and I think Per Reba will get her much more prepared for how to return the Sabalenka serve much better. So I think that's going to be an immediate improvement. I also think since last year's U.S. Open, you think about the fall swing, Zhang played really well. Mm-hmm. She's kind of gone a level up in maturity. So I think it's going to be a competitive final. You know, obviously the wild card is the nerves, but you know Sabalenka. This is the match she played, the best match she's ever played. I mean, Coco Goff in the semis was a great match that Sabalenka just played. But that final last oh. year was Oof. one of the greatest finals that I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah. The, you mentioned Perariba there. That's an interesting element to all this. I was desperate for, for Matt to work his magic on a stat about a coach any coach, whether any coach in history has ever won back-to-back slams with two different players. and I'd actually tapped out of that step because I just didn't think it was going to be possible to to look that up. It probably would have been Harry Hotman back in the day, right? Because he was the coach for the whole squad. But basically there isn't data on it. So it's out of reach of even Matt's powers, (laughs) devastatingly. But suffice to say... Look, I know Sabalenka's the favourite. It's unlikely, but what a feat. What a feat from him to do this. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he, it's pretty recent, isn't it? Um, and it's working. Whatever he's doing, whatever they're doing, it is working as a combo. Um, what, what, what do you think the message will be from him to get her, or what do you think she needs to do to get comfortable out there? Well, first off, I think Per Reba would have learned a lot, not just from observing Coco Goff, but also from sitting alongside Brad Gilbert during that uh, the whole summer in the U.S. summer last year, including the U.S. Open, because, of course, Brad helped coach Andy Roddick to his U.S. Open and also Andy Murray successfully. And so I think Per Reba is going to go into this final and help per-, per Zhang in a way that she's never... It's going to really help her in a big way. And and listen, the other coaching camp, we got to give kudos there because they've stuck together through thick and thin. Just want to quickly remind people that, like, the worst yips of all time was just two years ago, Sabalenka. We have two people in the final weekend of the Australian Open, Sabalenka and Zverev, that guy, who they've had amazing renaissances on serve. And I think it goes to show that even if you have a shot, and maybe Coco Goff can take this for the forehand, that can really just go off in a bad way, that you can recover to find a baseline 
that is much better than what it you know is at its worst that's reassuring pam because i've had the service yips for 15 years so <laughs> all about the ball toss for you <laughs> what happens to your ball toss last night in the espn studio chris mckendry our host didn't want to have her bread roll and i tried to throw it into the trash bin that was only like eight feet away and I've always been able to make this. I did the worst yip. It actually went out the door and hit somebody that was walking in the hallway. Anyway, if I was you, appalled. If you got hit by a bread roll thrown by Pam Shriver yesterday, do do let us know if that was you. <laughs> you got detention at my school for missing that. There was a teacher who used to who used to let you throw paper in a bin if if you wanted to but if you missed you got a detention so you used to go oh, and what what a cool guy yeah so you used to go in detention it was like why are you here i missed the bin in mr kershaw's <laughs> maths lesson i missed the bin in mr kershaw's maths lesson it's just a sea of people in detention for missing that. did you ever go to detention for that i never had mr kershaw for maths so no he sounds like a rock star mm. everyone loved him <laughs> right of course your school sounds a lot better than my school um I we have some a few more topics to cover, including getting Pam's thoughts on the men's semi-finals coming up tomorrow. Uh, but just before we dip into all of that, I need to tell you about on location the premium hospitality, hospitality and experience, experience provider. provider, with whom uh, we are proud to be sponsored. By whom we are proud to be sponsored. We're 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 deep in Pam's uh, contraband here uh, throughout the Australian <laughs> Open, uh, as I have been telling you on location have ticket hospitality travel packages available for basically everything uh the bnp paribas open in indian wells miami open the madrid open roland garros wimbledon the u.s open and the labor cup and most importantly we have a 10 percent discount available for tennis podcast listeners on 2024 roland garros official vip ticket packages courtesy of steve Fergal's international tennis tours now those packages include of course, tickets to watch the tennis on Court Philippe Chatrier, as you would expect, but most impo- importantly, access to La Mezzanine at L'Orangerie. Uh, and that's great. That's where they serve the cocktails and the hors d'oeuvres in a contemporary and refined setting. Every night it sounds just that little <laughs> bit better to me. Uh, there's also upgrades available to the Club des Loges Lounge. And uh, you can buy official VIP ticket packages to Roland Garros with that 10% discount code by going to tours4tennis.com forward slash podcast. That's tours, the number 4tennis.com forward slash podcast. And using the discount code CLAYSEASON at check out and a reminder that for friends of the tennis podcast there is also a five percent discount code which is applicable to all on location tennis events besides the olympics and that's exclusively for friends of the pod so if you want to become a friend and access that discount code and all the other incredible benefits of being a friend uh, then the link to do that is in our show notes terms and conditions apply Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me, and Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. I'm just going to touch upon a couple of other things, notably that happened today before we have a quick look ahead to tomorrow's matches. I think we had the best doubles match of the fortnight today. Now, I know that I haven't, haven't, deep dived on all the doubles but we watched quite a lot of uh, Suwei Shea and Elisa Mertens beating Storm Hunter and Katerina Siniakova at 7-5-1-6-6-3 to reach the women's doubles final and the noises Matt made during this match pretty much are, are a match for any excited noise Matt has made this fortnight can I hear some of those noises <laughs> oh Shay! wow oh <laughs> She's a genius. He kept shouting Sue Wei Shea's name. Mm. It was the same noise as I made that that when when Issa Diop scored for Fulham and I woke David up. Can confirm. <laughs> um, the thing is, like, she's just so casual about it. That's what I love about it. Like, she's pulled off this incredible shot. And, like, her, her partner, Elise Mertens, has is aghast and disbelief at what she's pulled off and she's just there doing a sort of little celebration like this like yeah i do this all the time her hand skills are phenomenal there was there was there was two points back to back to to get the crucial break in the third set where she came up with these winning i think one was a winning volley one was a winning half volley it was just remarkable and yeah she's into both uh, both doubles finals isn't she women's doubles and and mixed doubles it's like She's a bit of a cheat code, I think, on, on the doubles court because her hands, her disguise on all her shots is, is, is just amazing. She reads the play, mm. and it's so important in doubles. She just has this sense of where to go and also just uses the geometry of the court. She is a savant, doubles mm. savant. She's the Adria Manorino of the women's doubles court. Um, we don't know who they will play in the women's doubles final because the other semi-final was uh, I think a victim of the rain today it'll be played tomorrow uh, we also watched quite a lot of the men's doubles semi-final between best player in the world Thomas Mahach and uh, Zhang Zhizhen who were beaten by Rohan Bapana new world number one age 43 and Matt Ebden 7-6 in the third uh, Bapana and Ebden will play Simone Bellelli and Andrea Vavasori who also won 7-6 in the wow. third 
today. Been a good doubles day, isn't it? Yeah, we really enjoyed both those matches, didn't we? It was great Can we fun. just pause for a minute on this A 43-year-old Bopana being number one in the world? It's, it's, it's something else. It, it is unreal, right? It's. I mean, I always think about how Martina Navratilova, in her last match ever, won the U.S. Open mixed doubles alongside one of the <laughs> Brian twins. Maybe you can help me remember which one. Um, anyway, was it not alongside Leander Pace? No, it was with that Mike was or Bob Ryan. She did win majors with Leander, who's getting into the International Tennis Hall of Fame in yeah. July alongside VJ Armitage. Um, but it's it's crazy to have a forty three three year old at the top. But Martina won a U.S. Open doubles the month before she turned fifty. <laughs> Seven years to go. Rohan, the, the the lights have just gone off. It's all right. I trust you guys. It's all good. It's all good. We are podcasting in the dark. I can um, confirm it was Bob Bryan in 2006 <laughs> at the US Open. Extraordinary. Um, Alfie Hewitt reached the men's wheelchair singles final today. He beat Joaquin Gerard 6-4-6-1. He'll face Takito Oda in the finals. He beat Gordon Reed today in two very tight sets. The quad wheelchair singles final will be contested by Sam Schroeder and Guy Sasson, uh, who is an Israeli player that I have tried to Google and find things out about. But uh, the internet, including the Australian Open app, knows nothing about this man. Um, but he's clearly a talent because he's also into the quad wheelchair doubles final alongside South African Donald Rampardi. They won by walkover today over the top seeds, Niels Vink and Sam Schroeder. So I will, I will keep going in my quest to find out about Guy Sasson. Uh, top seed Dida de Hoot will face second seed Yui Kamiji in the women's wheelchair singles final and the women's wheelchair doubles was heavily rain affected today so they're still at the semi-final stage and those will be played tomorrow and we'll bring you the results of that pam the men's singles semi-finals you'll be on you'll be on a plane sailing back home well I, i'll be able to watch the first one okay all of it What's and some happen? of the second one um i, I think the center djokovic Semi-final is fascinating because of what Sinner did the end of last year, beating him twice, having a tremendous finish. I think it's fascinating that Sinner did not play a tournament coming into this Australian Open. Guess what? It's it's played out well for him, and in many ways, I think Medvedev as well. Um, and Djokovic has looked, you know, at times a little bit. I don't. I don't think there's quite the aura. I don't think Djokovic walks out to this semi-final of a major against Sinner with as much of an intimidating aura as other, many other semifinals. Because Sinner's got those two wins <laughs> against him or because of Novak's level generally Dropping a set, what, three different times in the tournament? Um, just a combination of everything. And I, I just, I don't know, I, I sat next to Darren Cahill for about four hours tonight because we were both doing the studio during the... This mm. is the stuff, yeah. Pam. Mm. And Darren said he's never been so excited and nervous for a match. He knows Yannick form in recent months is puts him right there but obviously doing it three out of five it, it's but to see Darren's excitement for this it was it was just funny it's fun to see it's funny isn't it because like the semi-final is actually where Djokovic has been the hardest to beat he's won 22 of his last 23 Grand Slam semi-finals at, the one he lost in that was that one, that really windy one over two days against Dominic Team at Roland Garros. 
and he's God, and he's obviously a weird match where he just packed up his stuff and left he just, off. He was through. just off, wasn't he? And of course, he's never he's never lost an Australian Open semi final. Like everything is on Djokovic's side there. I don't know if Sinner knows that that he's never lost. Do you, I don't know if he does? <laughs> Probably I best not to. So. Not. <laughs> Do you think is, is Dan, will Darren does. know that? Is he the yes. sort of guy that will know everything? And will, like he, will he will withhold that information? Yes. Right. <laughs> <It's>, it, <laughs> I've just been thinking about their matches at the end of last year, and like I know Sinner won two of them, but the final of the ATP finals was very one-sided in in Djokovic's favour, and like. He had the three match points in in the Davis Cup. Like he was, and the and the group stage one. Like it's a group stage. It's always a little bit weird, isn't it? Like Djokovic, he was awesome in that ATP Finals final. The, the way he was so aggressive with with his forehand, he was dominating the rallies. I, I think that that one has maybe been a little bit forgotten in the series. Like we're all talking about the fact that Sinner won two of them, and he did. Of course, we have to factor that in. But in the one that was sort of in the most, probably the most normal circumstances, I would say, not a group, not a Davis Cup, just a, a straight final, Djokovic won it. And, it. and he won it pretty convincingly. But I can't see it being straightforward for Djokovic. I just think Sinner's in such good form. But I, I think I will be picking Djokovic to win. But this feels like a huge test on his hands against Sinner in a way that we haven't really seen him have in in a lot of majors recently other than other than Alcaraz I would say I agree with you I I look far more at the Davis Cup match than I do those two at the ATP finals because I was there for both those matches and I I just don't think Djokovic in round robin where he doesn't have to win is the same beast as Djokovic in a final. So I really, I don't, not that that win is irrelevant, Sinner over Djokovic in the group stages. It's very relevant for Sinner. It's Mm. not that relevant for Novak Djokovic, I don't think. Um, And yeah, it was was pretty one-sided in the final in the end. So I do read more into the final than I do into the, into the group stages but it's Djokovic at the Australian Open in a Grand Slam semi-final <laughs> isn't it yeah I remember the, the the group stage match of the ATP finals you could see Djokovic hadn't got the intensity in his eyes he was actually trying to have a hitting contest with Yannick Sinner almost like for fun he was just trying to see if he could do it that way and I don't think he could be really be bothered to dig in and and he lost the final was a totally different match the, the, the Davis Cup one is really interesting because he desperately wanted to win that mm. he got himself into the position to win it and he didn't win it so that is a really interesting development in their rivalry I just don't see Sinner not turning up and playing really Same. well I think he plays well tomorrow whether it's enough is another matter Medvedev Zverev well let's see it's 11-7 for Medvedev, that piece of work. <laughs> and <laughs> like, what a tournament Medvedev has had here. I mean, his second round match, uh, Rusevori, two sets of love down, finish at 3.40 in the morning. I mean, literally, that's like flying to Europe and back in the middle of a major. Like, the, it, like it feels like you have jet lag. Mm-hmm. I, I called that match. 
I had jet lag for like days and I didn't play. I didn't have to do the wind down or whatever, but, um, I thought Medvedev's quarterfinal uh, match uh, against Hercotch was fascinating. Like you saw Medvedev and all of the twists and turns and, you know, was he really feeling awful there in the, like the third, the beginning of the fourth, and then how he managed himself. He got some drink from his, uh, from his team that seemed to give him extra life. And I thought the tactical changes with his return serve position at the beginning, I, I, I Medvedev's, I, I'm fascinated by him. Zverev, I don't really look forward to talking about him. If I can just stick to his tennis and compartmentalize what's happening on the court. I mean, he's, he's competed great winning, you know, two match tie breaks serving at 85% first serves in is one of the greatest serving performances to beat a major winner in Alcaraz. It was crazy, but, I mean, I think Medvedev's going to win. I think it's going to be tight. Yeah, just just on, on that, um, Medvedev's form hasn't looked great to me, and yet we've seen several times this week when somebody then plays somebody better they find something else in their game. And I can't believe that Medvedev doesn't find that something tomorrow. Just quickly on something that we touched upon last night, David, we um, we wrapped up our, our discussion about Zverev uh, with you wondering what had happened with uh, the ATP uh, de- pledging to develop a domestic violence policy. You got in touch with Simon Higson, um, head of corporate communications, I think, at the ATP um, on uh, that matter today. And the response was thus, we are aware of the upcoming legal trial involving Alexander Zverev and will not be commenting until that process is complete. And uh, regarding safeguarding, they pointed out that uh, the ATP hired a director of safeguarding in 2023 to lead on new safeguarding strategy and further updates will be communicated in due course. That uh, head of safeguarding, director of safeguarding, is Andrew Azapardi, and he was hired uh, in uh, February or March of last year. So it's been it's been a while, and we continue to watch this space. Um, I, I kind of want to find other things to talk about just to keep chatting to Pam, but... <laughs> <laughs> Bam's falling asleep. They've turned the, the lights off. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's one twenty-four. Welcome to our world, Pam. Permanent <laughs> jet lag for us. Uh, have you heard about Usher, our mascot? Yes, I have. Usher is lovely. Have you heard about Francis Darwin, Hyder, and Soma, our respective mascots, whom we are disgracing? Yeah, we sure daily. Are. Yeah. Although we all got points today, did we? Did yeah. we? Even me? Yeah. I take it all back. Oh, Pam, have you heard about Francis Darwin, Hyder, and Soma, who we are doing proud daily? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have. I lis- I've been listening to all the way to the end of the podcast, walking down from the hotel to the courts. I've been listening to the end. Oh, bless you. Trying uh, to figure out what name I can think of in tennis history to be one of the shout-outs. <laughs> well, yes, stand you, by, Pam. Yes. You told us one the other day that we'd missed. Marjorie Blackwood. That was it. Wait, I remembered something that Matt... I'm sorry. That's no. an upset. 
Uh, have you heard of Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they sponsor Billie Jean. Uh, we have top folks and executive producers, Greg, Chris, Jamie and Jeff. And it's over to Matt for shout outs. We start with Fiona McGregor in Edinburgh. Right, Fiona. Hello, Fiona, Fiona Farrell. Yeah. Straight in there. Straight in there. Do you remember when we were really big on Fiona Farrow? Matt was really big on Fiona Farrow. <laughs> she's, she's won a few matches this year. I've been monitoring. Maybe the comeback is on. Hmm. Didn't she win one of the first tournaments back or play in one of the first tournaments Palermo. back after COVID? Fiona, it's absolutely not her fault at all, but Fiona Farrow is very associated with COVID trauma for me. <laughs> Fiona, thank you very much. Like Conor McGregor, the, he does some sort of UFC fighting. Oh, yes. don't, don't bring him up. <laughs> what, you got any others? Thank Ewan you and McGregor. Thank you, Fiona. Ewan, yay. <laughs> We've got Brian Lopez. Hello, Brian. Hi, Brian. Brian Teacher. Brian Shelton. Bob Bryan. Mike Bryan. Feliciano Lopez. Mark Lopez. Yep. Who may or may not be making a comeback. <laughs> Brian Godfrey. Yes. Tell you what, Pam is elevating mm. the shout outs. Brian. At 126. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is originally from the Dominican Republic, but is now getting his master's degree in Madrid. Go, Ooh. Brian. Good work. Um, well. Feliciano Lopez is tournament director of Madrid. So and that's a tie-in. And he's got some help. I can't remember who's come in. Oh, Daniela Hantikova's come in to help Has him. Has she? Yeah, that's what, that's what I heard, especially on the schedule. All the gossip. <laughs> All the gossip. What Loving it. What else you got, Pam? <laughs> Let me think. <laughs> uh, fine. out, Matt. Give Pam time to uh, think. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it really slowly. <laughs> Our final shout-out is for Mary Patkus. Mary Carrillo, Mary Sawyer, Mary Pierce, Mary Mary Quite Contrary. (laughs) (laughs) How did your garden grow? (laughs) Pam doesn't. We don't need anybody else. We just need Pam to do the shout-out. Mary Mary is from Freehold, New Jersey. Oh! Home of Bruce Springsteen and Amanda, Amanda Anisimova, who'd never heard of Bruce Springsteen. Mm. And then. Chris Christie, who just bowed out of the presidential race. Yes. From Freehold, New Jersey. Yes. Mary says, I won the ballot and got to attend Wimbledon and as a bonus saw Bruce in Hyde Park. She's doing which, better than us then. Which we had to pull out of that, didn't we? <laughs> we had to withdraw, injured and devastated. <laughs> I still haven't been forgiven. (laughs) (laughs) Mary, what a shout out. Yeah. That's it. We're very big in in sort of New England, aren't we? Is New Jersey New England? No, New England. New Jersey (laughs) would be more like the Northeast. I mean, like, you know, the the Eastern Seaboard. That's better. Mm. Right, yeah, there. Nailed it. We're big there. Right. Okay, Pam, this has been an honour and a treat. As always, not just because of the contraband, but also because of your words of wisdom. I was afraid to b- bring a bigger bottle, so <laughs> it was a small one. I think it was perfectly sized. Uh, yeah, it's been a joy. Travel safely. Thank you. We look forward, as always, to seeing you at the next one. David Indian Matt. Wells, right? We'll see you no. in Indian- oh, Sorry. 
No, not this time. Another time. I mean, we'll be doing podcasts. We'll just... We'll be there in spirit. We will be, Pam. Can't join the queue. That's too bad. The queue to meet us. <laughs> <laughs> Pam did actually join the queue last year. What a moment. What a moment. Um, David, Matt, I'm not going to say goodbye to you because we'll be probably in this very same spot tomorrow at about 4 a.m. Can't wait. <laughs> it's a date. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening. Good night. 